0: You're listening to The Bookstack with Annie, Nia, and Sydney. Hi, friends. Welcome to the 29th chapter of The Book Stack. I'm Sydney. And I'm Nia. And I'm Annie. As book lovers, we all have nostalgic memories of the books we loved reading as children that prompted us to want to dive further down the proverbial rabbit hole of reading. Today, the three of us share what those cherished books are for us and how they helped us become the book lovers we are today. Hopefully, they spark some nostalgia of your own for you. We would love if you shared with us on social media which books helped you fall in love with reading. Who knows? Maybe you'll have a nostalgic favorite that you share with the one of us. Nia, why don't you go ahead and get us started?
1: Reading is something I feel like I've always done. It's just, once you could do it, just has been like a part of me. Like there's stories of me growing up of, yep, I would just have a book wherever I was. That hasn't changed. I always have at least one book. I have a paper book that lives in my car. They're always on my phone. My dad used to read to me and that like the set of the Chronicles of Narnia that I have was his. It's from the 1970s, but we've talked about that one in previous stacks. So I didn't go with that one. And same with, you know, Linus Rampant and The Enchanted Forest. Those are the top three that always come to me. So I had to think a little bit. I'm going, you know, nostalgia. You had to the dive think a little a deeper. Kid, I did. And then when I realized, oh yeah, yeah, there's a couple. There's a couple I can talk about that we definitely haven't touched on before. The first one is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark by Alvin Schwartz. Totally remember very, this one. Very, very classic.
2: I don't yes. remember this one. What? I, I, I didn't read like it as a child.
1: You, I feel like if you saw the covers though, you'd probably yeah, recognize them. You'd they recognize came, the it covers. came out they did a film adaptation in 2019. So yeah, no.
2: I got nothing, but I'm excited to hear about it.
1: Please take me uh, to your childhood. I I love these books. (laughs) So the first collection, they're a collection of short stories. The first one came out in 1981. There are three books in the series. They are, the the stories are very, very creepy. Like they get you on a very deep level and the artwork that goes along with them is by Stephen Gamel in the original ones and the newer artist is Brett Helquist and I I haven't seen too many of the new ones but I feel like they also captured the same that feel? dark primal fear that we all have is definitely <laughs> in these books I would always get them at the library if I could get them I remember running up The pathway of the particular library, I can still smell it when I think about it. Of how the the brick smelled and the concrete smelled to go into the library to get these books, and I loved them. But I would also get in a little bit of trouble for reading them because they gave me horrific nightmares as a kid. Oh no! But my parents weren't the type to be like, "You shouldn't read those," or like, "Do you sure you want to?" Like you can, but understand what will happen kind of a deal. Yeah. So I appreciate that I wasn't censored as a kid, but yeah. And I, if you see any of the, the previews for the movies, like it still brings up that primal fear for me. So I haven't seen the movie I should watch it, but I have to be, I think, in the right mood. They, so Schwartz used a lot of folklore and urban legends as inspiration for his, his, the stories that are in here. I, the one that always sticks out to me is the, the kid that ate the toe. And you hear, you know, I want my toe back. Well, I want my toe back. Like a lot of the stuff you heard as a kid is creepy stories were either inspired by these books or inspired the books. Yeah. So, but I, yeah, they, whenever i think about my childhood i always think of these because they were so iconic and i really should buy another set i'm like oh as a parent i also am like i don't know if i want my kid to see these just yet <laughs> <laughs> so if she found them i wouldn't be like no i i, I probably would stay say no because she's not quite at the age that would be appropriate for these anyway but yeah so when i think back on my childhood i think back on these books and i have that oh yep yep and then you go ooh, but i i really think that these books in particular are what inspired my the love of folklore that I have and the love of horror that I still have I really think I can trace it back to these books so nice it's yeah they're they're this is my first one my second one is much lighter and probably more <laughs> stereotypical. Um, growing up, you know, more on the, the female side. So the second one is The Babysitter's Club and they're by Anne M. Martin. At least the first, maybe 60 to 80 are by Anne Martin. There was also, at one point, she also had a ghostwriter that was helping write them. But her estimation is she wrote between 60 and 80 of these books. Oh, wow. Which is a lot.
2: <laughs> that is a lot.
1: Yeah. That's a lot. These are also still available in the libraries if you're looking for them. The first one came out in 1986 and they were published up through the year 2000. So they had a really nice long run. They're about a, a group of friends in a fiction, fictional suburban town of Stony Brook, Connecticut. So just keep in mind, this is very I'm trying to figure out how to put this.
2: <laughs> They're very small town.
1: 80s small town white like stereotypical they do branch out they go from being all girls I think they do add a boy to the group at some point as you know you're moving into the 90s and things are getting a little bit more open to hey we should have some diversity when I picture them in my head they're very whitewashed I guess is the way to put it but yeah. that could just be how we grew up too so yeah. but I used I powered through these i mean i i read them like candy and yeah. my best friend at the time we would trade them back and forth like that Fun. was just did you read this one? Oh, here's this one and we just and we would sit and just power through them find them all in the school library and that's what we did and i'm actually still friends with her so i have a suspicion she probably feels the same way about these books because when i think back to them i think back on the the time i was at this we were only in the same school for two years so i think back to that exact point in my life fourth and fifth grade when it was us hanging out reading these books and stephen king but that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole different thing so you, know, gotta, balance you gotta throw it. in some balance stephen king it.
2: every once in a while it's true Great, and the big books we're not talking visitors.
1: like the, we're not talking the kids stephen king either so you know you're talking like the thousand page it mm-hmm. yeah i never actually finished that one all the way but yeah that's you know, gotta, gotta that is these, a monster spice of, a, it up a of, a, little.
0: of a book though like let's be Let's be fair. It is.
1: It is. Yeah, I don't think I ever finished that one. It was just kind of when you dabbled and you go, you know what? No, I'm good. Yeah. I think I'm good. But we talked a lot about Stephen King. We watched the movies too. So yeah, that was the other probably intro to horror I had was you just throw all that in. But back to the babysitters club. They're very yeah. basic books. They're not very big. They're 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 really tiny books. If you see if you've been to the library in the kids section, you'll see them. There's a whole shelf of them anywhere you go. I I remember as a kid, you look at them and you're like, Oh yeah, they're like you know, 12 to 14, that was so grown up, you know, (laughs) you're in elementary school and like, that's so grown up and they're running their own business and they're doing all this cool stuff. And wow, I want to do that. I want to have a group of friends where you do that stuff. And yeah, I didn't, you know, you didn't, I didn't really get all of that. I got the group friend group of like, you know, you have your ride or die friends and I have those now. And, you know, I was reading them with one of my ride or die friends, but it's, it's kind of interesting. Like looking back when I was, you know, putting notes together for this, I was thinking that going, yeah, I really wanted that as a kid. Oh, I kind of have that now. That's kind of <laughs> cool. So that was kind Me of neat, a neat, neat, <laughs> neat realization there. Yeah. And the, the main, person in the group they'd rotate whose perspective it was really primarily focused on but the person who started the whole thing was christy and i always really identified with her because her favorite clothes were a t-shirt and jeans unless it was cold and then she'd have on a sweater or something and that was that's always been my jam t-shirt and jeans are my jam they were then they are now so that was kind of one of those oh yeah i kind of see myself here this maybe this is where i'll be when i'm 12 i'll be this mature no i won't but you never know (laughs) like at the time i was like yes i could go for this so these are the ones that like now i've looked back, okay, I passed the ones I always you know, oh, these are the big nostalgia points. These are the ones that are also there too, but they were very, I could always find one of the babysitter club books to like, I need something to read. Cool. I'll just get three of these. They'll keep me through a week. Maybe at least I go to the school library again. Yeah. And that's, that kind of is how I am now. Okay. I think, you know, when I have time to read, I can power through a book in two or three days. Yeah. So.
2: So Nia, have you looked at the graphic novel babysitter club books that have come out?
1: I have seen them, but I don't think I've looked through them.
2: My daughter has read a couple of those and I wonder how they, fit in with the originals
1: Mm. I hope they're a good
2: update they seem to be I feel like there's very 90s yeah I feel like there's more diversity just from looking at the covers Mm -hmm. feel like there's more diversity (laughs) which is good which is good because you know (laughs) that's what we live in Mm -hmm. but having never read the originals I don't know how how they fit in I wonder that I don't
1: know I might have to check them out I'll let you know
2: yeah okay yeah
1: so those are mine. What about you, Sydney.
0: So, Nia, like you, I can't remember a time when I wasn't reading. I grew up with a mom who read to me before I was born, and every night once I arrived. So, I picked two series that were influential when I was young, rather than the first books that really got me reading because I don't remember. Right. I could have gone in a lot of directions. I read a lot of Goosebumps when I was young, but it was because they were so easily accessible.
1: I love Goosebumps. Not,
0: I <laughs> I didn't, but I read a lot of them because they I didn't were love them, accessible. But I read
2: them. <laughs> And like there was always a I, I
0: owned some. I owned <laughs> some Goosebumps. Like I had my own little bookshelf in my or my a bookcase in my in my room growing up, and I had um, a good dozen or so Goosebumps because they were really accessible and it was mm-hmm. always able. I was always able to find a book that I could read. That's the last. There, there was really
2: had a hold on always. Up.
0: There was always a new Goosebumps book out always, but I read them because I could, not because they were really influential right? Yeah. So the first book I picked is The Boxcar Children by Gertrude Chandler Warner, specifically book number one. It's currently a set of 164. Whoa. It's still I didn't going. I did
2: with that many. Oh my goodness. It's still going? It's not still going. Author, right? no. no,
0: not, not. A, not by the same author, right? No. No, not not by the same author. Okay. I mean, it can't be because, you know,
2: 1924. I mean, it could be.
0: Yeah. So but... the first book originally released in 1924. Yeah, no. And then no. it it was re released in a revised format in 1942, and that's when it became popular and took off.
2: Okay, wow. so that it makes a been lot out of almost Almost
0: 100 years, yeah, that is wild. It, I mean, so I mean, the, the series was started by Gertrude Chandler Warner, but it obviously had to be written by multiple authors because Scholastic. You know, the fact, fact that it came out to continue
2: the fact that sure. it came out in 1924 and then gained popularity in 1942 helps with the storyline because I was always a little confused what time period was happening here.
0: Yeah. Well, they try to make (laughs) it really timeless. Like they don't really- Yeah, but there were certain
2: things where-
0: I mean, of course there's things that date it, but they try to not include a lot of, you know, really specific time increments so that it feels like you could pick up the book and be part of the story wherever you are. But I was introduced to the book by a teacher reading to the class and I don't remember what grade I was in. I know my third grade teacher read us Redwall, and that's a significantly yeah, more challenging book. So I'm thinking it was my first grade teacher. I know it wasn't my second grade teacher because my second grade teacher hated children and she <laughs> didn't really do anything for us.
2: That was my fourth grade Ooh. teacher and my kindergarten teacher. Yeah,
0: my second grade teacher should not have been teaching. She yeah. she hated what she did. And it was so it was so obvious, even to small kids. Ugh. But so other than knowing it wasn't her, my memory's a bit hazy.
1: <laughs> Fair. Well, I mean, you know, childhood's kind of hazy. So Yeah. Yeah, this is a very, it's a very valid point. But
0: I remember loving that book so much that I kept asking for my own copy. And so my mom or both my parents, I don't really remember, again hazy memory kept taking me to different bookstores and they'd find copies of boxcar children but they were always different numbers they weren't they mm-hmm. weren't book number one and i very specifically wanted book number one and they, <laughs> my parents were so supportive and nice about the fact that i was like no it has to be number one i want remember,
1: the number
2: one book this is before amazon this oh, is before, before thrift
1: books this was this is probably this before w- barnes and noble i was maybe Maybe
2: before barnes and noble hard Uh, to
1: find the first borders around i don't
0: i don't yeah i don't even know I genuinely was don't around, know. Yeah. I just know that my parents knew how much I wanted this book. And so they went out of their way to find it for me. And I so I, and I and think I still have my copies of my Boxcar Children's set. I think I had like 15 or 20 that I ended up with. They weren't. Mm-hmm. I think I had one through 11. And then the numbers started getting a little skippy. Sure. But it was hard to find book number one because it wasn't readily available in the 90s when I grew up. It was, you know, whatever number had just come out.
1: Because mm-hmm. there's, you know. But yeah, hundreds of, yeah. There's 164 <laughs> of them, so you know who needs book
0: one, right? Right. Start, you know, start with 130 and keep going from there. Yeah, but I was very proud of my collection of Boxcar Children, and I was very, very proud. Of the fact that i had number one when it was <laughs> when you know for me it was like an indiana jones quest because it was so hard to find <laughs> which is really it, cool though it is it is and it honestly like i cherished those books growing up it was i didn't relate to them in any way because it's about four orphans and they are basically taking care of each other while they live in this abandoned box car because they're supposed to go live with their grandfather but they think he's going to be this horrible, mean person, and they don't want to go to him. And so they try to like hide from him and take care of themselves. And then by the end of the first book, you find out he's actually really, really nice, and they go live with him. But that's where the name Boxcar Children comes from, is because they were living in a boxcar when their grandfather found them. Okay, that makes but sense. But the whole... The whole premise is that you have these four orphans and their grandfather and each book they solve a mystery. It's it's a basic premise. It's a very similar premise to a lot of other books of the time like mm-hmm. Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew. Harriet Nancy Drew, Harriet the Spy, I think came out a little bit later. Encyclopedia Brown. Like they're all, you know, solve this mystery and it's a kid-friendly mystery and everything works out in the end, but you feel like you get to follow them on this adventure. And that you're solving it with them. So why isn't it, you know, it's just so much fun. Yeah. So that was my first book. My second book, you're going to notice the theme here. <laughs>
2: I noticed a theme.
0: The second book that I wanted to, to bring up is called The Happy Hollisters. It's written by Jerry West. The first book came out in 1953. It's a set of 33 books. Jerry West, wow, the author. I did not know that. Right? I thought there were like three. Wow. <laughs> Jerry West is actually <laughs> a, more. a pseudonym. <laughs> yeah, just a handful more. It's fine. You basically read them all. It's a, Jerry West is a pseudonym for Andrew E. Svensson, who was a part of the Stratemeyer Syndicate. And as a, as a member of the Stratemeyer, Stratemeyer Syndicate co-authored more than 70 children's books, including The Hardy Boys, Bobsy Twins, everything in that
1: oh, genre of got that it. age.
2: Got it, got it,
1: Okay, so what is the Stratemeyer Syndicate? I, I... Do we know? I don't. I didn't dig a
0: whole lot into that because I was more focused okay. on on the books. But maybe I mean it, we'll bring it up in a future episode.
1: Okay, I mean we could probably extrapolate that it's you know as part of that syndicate if they co-authored stuff, then it was probably yeah. like almost you know like I'm, a writing. I'm
0: assuming it's a it's a writing group. group that that produce things as a group under certain pseudonyms. Right. But, um, so the Happy Hollisters is about a family who enjoys solving mysteries together. I know we're all shocked.
2: Remember that trend that we were looking for. <laughs> It. Yeah,
0: we found we found a theme. <laughs> so my parents bought my childhood home from my mom's parents. So I grew up in the I grew up in the same house that my mom grew up in. And when my grandma and grandpa moved out to move into the home that they were moving into for retirement, my grandma left a lot of stuff she didn't want to take with her. But Fair. then every time she'd come to visit, uh they did, yeah. yeah. But every time she'd come to visit, she'd be like, Oh, I forgot. I wanted that. And then like she would like take stuff. So I would be like <laughs> So we moved when I was like nine months old into this house. And I remember being Mm -hmm. like 12, 13, 14. And she'd be like, oh, I forgot I wanted that. And she'd just like take stuff out of our house. (laughs) We'd be like, at what point does buying the house and everything in it mean stop taking stuff from us?
1: But like 12 years later,
0: (laughs) it wasn't malicious. So like we never said anything, but we were just like, stop taking stuff out of the house. Anyway, where did that? Oh,
1: grandma took that. Okay. yeah, It's a mystery. (laughs) (laughs)
0: but so these books were left by her when she moved out because it was they were books from my mom and her siblings that they read when they were growing up and i so like they weren't there were books that just were in the house it wasn't like my parents went out and found them for me but i loved that these books were left in the house because you know i i fell in love with this idea of the family solving mysteries together where the adults were there and they were part of it and they helped the kids, but they included the kids. It wasn't like the adults did everything for the kids. And it wasn't like the kids went off on their own and sneaking behind adults back to go handle things like they did everything as a family and they respected each other as family members with ideas of their own and and I really associated with that because I was always treated with a lot of respect for having my own ideas growing up as a kid I wasn't talked down to just because I was younger which is really important it's like, super important I, think- I i had a fantastic childhood like i i recognize the older I get that I was blessed with a very, very healthy, supportive childhood that most people don't get. Yeah. And, and I continue to cherish that. But
1: so that aside,
0: I, I fell it's in kind love of with these.
1: Yeah, oh, go ahead. I think it's kind of interesting that these came out in 1953. And that is the, that's the dynamic you see. Yeah. When you think back and to 1953, that's not like what I think of. And I think it's really cool. That's both. true. I have that's not true.
0: reread them as a fair. as an adult, so I'm allowing the romanticism of my youth to tell me about the books, because I worry that if I read them as an adult, I wouldn't feel the same way. That's fair. I mean, maybe I would love them just as much, but I worry that I wouldn't, and I don't want to ruin that love for these books but, that I
1: have. Which we have had happen in, in previous chapters, so <laughs> yeah,
2: that's <it's> true. <laughs> <laughs> Remember A Wrinkle in Time?
1: Yes. I don't want to... Uh... So on one of my
0: grandma's visits, she saw how much I loved them because I was reading all of them, devouring them. She saw how much I love them. So she took them because she, <laughs>
2: she, she wanted was... to be the cool grandma and have them at her house.
0: No, she was helping raise my cousin who did not have the same stable family home life that I did. And she was very much my grandmother's oh. favorite because she was like, she needed her. And my grandmother loved being needed. She loved being the come in and save you and be that person for you kind of person. Mm-hmm. And so my grandmother saw how much I love these books, so she took them to take them home to my cousin because if I love these books, then then my cousin will love these books. And she was trying to get her into reading.
2: That's not how it were.
0: And I know we're all shocked, but um <laughs> my cousin never read the books.
2: What? <laughs> Plot
0: twist. It it never helped her fall in love with reading. It was never for her what it was for me. Probably it's because like you're different people. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> she didn't have the same family home life and so of course she's not going to relate to the people in the book right yeah right but I was really upset and angry that my grandmother took the books I didn't feel like I could say anything to her so I just kind of was sad and you know quietly about her taking the books but she passed a few years ago and before that even my cousin actually bought the house that my grandmother and grandfather had retired to and so the house is full of all of the stuff that she took from your house that she took from our house (laughs) and my cousin messaged me and she's like i'm going through box after box after box of like crap and i don't know if anyone wants this stuff like this there's literally like three dumpfuls of just family memorabilia that nobody wants what do you Uh want from this house what can you take away i need you to take some stuff like there's there's too much crap and i said i know it's not a lot But all I really want is this one... Said it like book anthology and then the Happy Hollister's books and she's like seriously and I was like yes it's really all I want that's all I need like I don't I don't need anything else and she's like please need more stuff and I was like no I just <laughs> yeah. want these books please take more so she went through the basement and found the three books that were taken from my house when I was a kid oh wow oh, look at wow. that and I still have so I I own Happy Hollister's and the Castle Rock Mystery Happy Hollister's I think this is the original I think this is book number one and Happy hollisters and the ice carnival mystery which i think takes place in quebec if i remember correctly
2: okay where so. do they live where do the hollisters live we don't know i don't remember they live in the
0: pages of the book
2: because you say they went to quebec well, you and know I wonder did yeah. they go on a long well, trip uh, or was it just up the street it's okay you don't need to know it's fine They, i think
0: they live back east because they went up to canada and opening up the, the flap i so, could
2: also yeah. go get my one copy
0: do you have a happy hollisters book
2: Oh, it's not for reading. It's for decoration.
1: But you have a Happy Hollister's book? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. So it doesn't much. have the
2: nice dust jacket, though. It's just red.
1: But that's
2: okay. It's still a Happy Hollister's book. I should probably read so, it. It's just getting dusty. Yeah. Sorry, Sydney. It's okay. That is it's so okay. awesome.
0: But eventually, like, I would love to be able to find the other books in the series just to have a complete collection mm-hmm. of these books that the are really too. kind of hard to find now. Yeah,
1: that's true. So check out paperback swap paperback oh, yeah. is be able to find them. Okay. Yeah, you may have to list a few books to be able to get stuff up there, but if you find them on there and they're available, hit me up. Okay.
2: I always find things like that on thriftbooks.com,
1: but... Thriftbooks is a good one, too.
2: That's not a... Tr- it might be a little harder to find them on there.
1: Or at a reasonable price, because if they're the older ones... That's what I was thinking, yeah. too. Yeah, paperback swap You just pay shipping to ship them. Right. They're free. All
0: right. Well, those are my two books. Annie, what about you?
2: So I didn't read as a child.
1: We've discussed this. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that.
2: You it's are. Actually, lover I, mean, now. I am. I own one copy of the Happy Hollisters. I don't even know which one it is. And it sits on my mantel next to a copy of McKinney High 1946, I think is what it's called. Because that's the school I used to teach at. And two synonym and antonym dictionary type things from when my grandpa was in school in, I don't know, the 40s. So I love that that's so my, much. that's how I read. I, I more collect than actually read, you know, They're the nostalgic Reading things. books
0: yeah. and collecting books are two very different hobbies. They, they are. I can be into both of them, but they are not mutually exclusive.
2: That's true. So the books that I chose, one of them is from when I actually started reading, like my adult reintroduction into reading. And then the other one is from my childhood. Because I did read every once in a while. I got the Scholastic. Remember, Scholastic had quite... The death grip on us growing up in the 90s. But I remember getting... I was part of like the boxcar children club. And so I would get yes. I would get a couple of them every month, like three or four or two. I don't know if I read them, <laughs> but I had them. <laughs> I remember the first book and I remember being confused on what was happening with the timeline. But I had them. Didn't read them, but I had them. Sorry, mom. <laughs> it's okay. I grew up into a well-adjusted human being. You did. So the first book... <laughs> Thank you. The first book that I chose came from my adult reintroduction into reading and it came out in 2016 because that's when I started reading again. Rock on. Okay. Seven years ago. Yeah. It's been a minute. I have You're a degree. I have a degree in secondary English teaching. So I, it's not that I don't see the value in reading and I never saw the value in reading. I just didn't read.
1: I don't know. So I know librarians that don't like to read. It doesn't make, yeah.
2: it, not everyone likes to read. It just didn't happen until I, I think it was when I needed to actually talk to people about books and kind of the fake it till you make it mentality. <laughs> because I was teaching high school and I think I had a hard time, as anyone would, trying to get kids to read if I didn't read. Mm. Yeah. And I think I was at a point in my life where I could slow down and, and again, actually discuss these things with people. And that's when I got into it. Anyway, so the first book that I chose is titled The Smell of Other People's Houses. And it's by Bonnie Sue Hitchcock. And every time I talk about it, people laugh and say, that's got to be so inappropriate. I go, it's super not. Like, not at all.
0: It just has an interesting can, title.
2: It just has an interesting title. You can Google all you want. It, it just is what it is. And this, I just randomly picked it off the shelf one day because it had a pretty purple cover with like a cabin and stars. And I thought, that looks really short. I should read that book. <laughs> <laughs> so I
1: did. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. You, know? you just... As long as you start. I don't fine. even think
2: the title intrigued me. I think it just looked like something I could handle. So the story takes place in Alaska in the 1970s, okay. which was after Alaska was made into a state. That was in what, 1959? I
1: just looked it up. So in this book... I don't remember exactly though.
2: Yeah, I feel like it was the tail end of the 50s. So running in the background of this book are the people angry about statehood, the politics, that their tribal lands and their fishing lands and hunting is being taken away because now they're a state. So there's that whole thing going on in the background. Some people are excited about it, some people aren't, but it is a thread that runs through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But the actual story is about four teenagers and their different lives but how they're all still connected. One of them is pregnant and again these are all teenagers in the 70s. One is pregnant and gets away to a convent. Another one her family is really down on their luck and then that changes real fast but her family doesn't adapt well. There's another girl who is trying to become a dancer and not live up to what her father wants her, what she thinks her father wants her to do. And then there's a boy and his brothers who run away from what they think is a bad situation at home. And they okay. end up on a ferry in Seattle. Cause Oh, because they're going from Seattle to Alaska. And they're all, these are all real problems that people still face. Like all four of those things are things that kids are still dealing with, that adults are still dealing with. You know, How yeah. do you tell your parents that you're pregnant when they don't want you to have a baby because they think that you're unfit because you're 13 and so you go to a convent or you don't want to tell your parents that you suddenly have money because you're afraid of what they're going to do with it. Yeah, uh you want to do something different than what your family has been doing for generations or you feel that you and your siblings are unsafe and so you need to get out of that situation. These are all things that are still happening no matter what time yeah. period, no matter what the
1: geography. Right. Yeah, they're unfortunately pretty timeless, so.
2: They are pretty timeless. Alaska becoming a state that happened one time. True. But the problems are timeless and they work through them in a very realistic way. The brothers They're on a ferry and one of the brothers sees a bunch of chickens and so he decides to go run after the chickens and I think, yeah, my kids would do that. Yeah, mine would too. Yeah, that's, yeah, that makes sense. It's a chicken on a ferry, gotta go check it out. Yep. or the girl is in a convent at one point and she's doing laundry and all of her clothes get wet and so she's like whatever I'm just gonna take them all off and I go yeah I can see a 14 year old doing that no one's around clothes are all wet gotta deal with it somehow might as well <laughs> yeah so they make choices that are very age appropriate but also appropriate for the problem and then in the end of the book all the characters come together and it is fantastic nice okay. It is so well done in a 240-page book. It is so well done. And I remember having to go back and see, wait a second, I remember that happening. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on.
1: It is extremely well done, I think. To do that much in 240 pages, that's a very tight story.
2: Yes, it is a very, very tight story, but still very complicated because none of those problems are easy problems to work through, to solve, to... right. And they don't have an. They don't have a solution.
1: Yeah, they don't have any. I mean, none solution. of those problems
2: really have a solution. They just have a stepping stone towards realization. Maybe anyway, I am constantly giving this book away and having to buy it again because <laughs> it's just with that it, this book got. I really like historical fiction and I really like family. Not family drama books, but complicated family stories. Yeah, and this covered all those things in 240 pages, and I could. Very quickly say to someone else, "Hey, you should read this. Hey, you should read this. Hey, you should read that." And then in 2016 and since a lot of books have been coming out that are kind of the same with complicated storylines, yeah, long family generational. So it kind of follows that, and it's easy to go from this book to another to another to another. Yeah, it's a gateway book. It is. It's a really (laughs) good gateway (laughs) book. It's very short. The cover is a little bit trippy. If you want it to be a gateway book, and that's okay. Right on. Love it. The second series. chose is the dear america series i guess my first one wasn't a series but this one is again scholastic 1996 to 2004 they came (laughs) out with 36 titles because they needed a new one every time one of those little pamphlets came home in your backpack there needed to be a new title those (laughs) are like stuff for those book
1: fairs i know they needed
2: to have new stuff so 36 books and honestly 36 in that timeline compared to some of the other ones we've looked at it's not that many but it's still Still, a lot. yeah i don't remember why we had these in my house growing up i honestly don't remember why we had them other than i probably told my mom hey let's buy this book and she said okay but i liked them they're fictional diaries journals uh from young girls perspectives at pitiful points in american history So there's one about the Salem witch trials, there's one about the Trail of Tears. There's one about the Titanic. The one oh, wow. that I remember the most was about an Irish immigrant who was working in a textile factory in the early 1900s. Wow. That's the one I remember the most. But what I liked about these books is that they were first person perspective and it was my age. Because as much as you read about or as much as I read about these things happening in history, there's just something about reading it from first person in the same age that the reader is.
0: Yeah, it's. I no longer helps. something that happens to other people
1: right yeah it's not abstract anymore it's yeah. oh i can right. i can actually put my myself in this position and understand yeah what yes. it is they're going through and that's and it's that's not looking at it after work.
2: the fact it's during what would someone my age do during that time Which so I'm I really liked refer- them they were
1: good see there's there's read like this one that are super oh, yes. super popular yeah and I think it's probably for that reason because you can actually put your yourself in that
2: well it's like the I survived books yeah that's what I'm, I think that's what yeah. I'm thinking of uh-huh. one thing I liked about these with it being the journal diary style is that there were dates to go along with it.
1: Mm.
2: And so, and I liked, I mean, I like history. I like seeing the timeline. And Mm I don't know if the I Survived books, I mean, they do it in a different way, but seeing the timestamp of this happened on this day. And then the next day after that happened, I did this. And then two weeks later, I did this. I like the very well-explained defined timeline. These got republished in 2010 for a minute. And I don't know how that went, but since then... They came out with a series. I think it was called My America instead Mm. of Dear America, and it was for boys. I didn't like those. I tried them; didn't go well. And then there's a series.
1: Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I feel like Dear America would be more like gender neutral, and that's kind of disappointing that they. It was not. It was all girls. Oh, okay. It was the 90s. You think they? Yeah, that's fair. When only girls read, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, because only girls read books like that. Yes,
2: and then they came out with boy ones. They've also come out with My Canada, uh, My Australia. A whole bunch of countries have picked up on this idea since, oh. you know, Scholastic brought them out. Multiple different authors, but all the same style. And they had edges, you know, the rough edge. So it looked yeah. like a journal, yeah. oh, like yeah. it was war torn. And then they had instead of they had like that ribbon bookmark.
0: Oh, I loved those. Oh, yeah. I felt like it, my books were so fancy when they had those. I
2: know. And it felt more like a journal because my journals had, you know, some sort of little place card thing. And yeah. It was a fun ribbon to go with it. They were all different colors that kind of went with the story. You know, the character would be wearing a blue dress and it was a blue book with a blue bookmark. Yeah. Marketing is real, friends marketing is real it is but those that series I read as a child I've been trying to get my own kids into it they don't like them but that's okay oh. it's okay maybe they'll end up it, like me and start reading in their late 20s it's fine
1: you know it, it's finding what works for you when it does yes. A, yes. you know I have a family member that was not into reading at all did not like any of the standard kids books was not into it kind of dabbled a little bit in like animorphs oh and yeah then found forgotten realms D books and now they found their home reader they found well Now they'll they'll reading <laughs> (laughs) Anything, but they found. Oh, hey, it's not a chore. I found something I enjoy. It's actually fun. Yeah, I forgot about animorphs. I loved animorphs.
2: I didn't read those.
1: I never got into them. I love the covers. Yeah, the covers were the the covers are. I I remember seeing those
2: covers, thinking that is a fun transition.
0: I I enjoyed the books when I was little. I always thought it was fun that they were solving really big problems with something yeah. that other people would see as a deformity, but it was like their ability to transform into a specific animal. Mm-hmm. But I always thought it was fun. It was a fun little dabble into fantasy without having your whole foot in there. It,
1: those were also gateway books so I think by into the, time the
0: whole genre. The
1: Animorphs were kind of a thing I knew about. I was already into and McCaffrey and Mercedes Lackey. And it's like, that's, that was where yeah. I was firmly in fantasy at that point. You, so. you didn't need a gateway book. Yeah. I did not. <laughs> I don't I don't
2: love fantasy. And so I think that was my problem. Yeah, yeah. Not that it was a problem that I didn't read, but I think that's why I didn't is because most people went from anamorphs into fantasy, this into fantasy, this into fantasy. And I just don't, fantasy just doesn't fantasy get person. me. Yeah. And so I think maybe that was why I didn't read very much growing up because that's
1: what typical,
2: that's what's typically marketed to late elementary, early middle school is fantasy, or at yeah. least it was in the 90s. In
1: 2000s yeah i don't think it's changed quite
0: that much no so no that's
2: okay
0: yeah. annie thank you for sharing you're welcome so nia to answer your question from earlier the Stratemeyer mm-hmm. syndicate was the name of a publishing company that produced a number oh. of mystery book series for children including nancy drew uh, hardy boys um, happy Holizers. that's an amazing name for a publisher i love isn't that. it fantastic so i thought it was some sort of like by, mob. By, a, by a
1: publisher named syndicate I know, it feels it feels like
0: a mob they i thought they it was published... a mob
2: mafia you know <laughs> It's they published
0: not. and contracted the many pseudonymous authors doing the writing of the series from 1899 through 1987. When they Wait,
2: sold, hang on, hang on. When
0: they that's sold like the company years. to Simon and Schuster, oh, that's a hundred years,
2: right? Not quite, not quite, not quite. A- 1899 uh, to
0: 1987.
1: That's still a long time.
0: It's yeah, a very long I, time. I, but then they become then they became Simon and Schuster.
1: Of course they did, which is not as entertaining.
0: I, I no they should have left it as the, the that names. was
1: far cooler day. yeah yeah I have opinions on the fact that there's only you know major publishing houses now but I'm not going to I know me them. too so me I, that too. is I feel a conversation like could be a... for a different podcast episode <laughs> it is it absolutely
0: is <laughs> so on that note Let's transition to our triviality segment. We're going <laughs> to each share one unique bit of trivia from our research about the topic today. And hopefully you learned something
1: new to use at trivia night. So Nia, what about you? So I I talked about scary stories, tell in the dark. Right. Um, before, so the, the numbers I have are from before the movie came out in 2019. So I'm sure the number of copies is higher, signif- probably significantly higher. But the book sold over 7 million copies up to that point. So when they first were published in 81, up until 2019, over 7 million copies. But it is also, the American Library Association said it was the most challenged book series in the 90s. So really, yes, this book is on the banned books list. It has been challenged because it's considered grotesque and not appropriate (laughs) for children. And I'm like... We tell Grimm's, you know, fairy tales to kids. I don't see what the problem is. Mm-hmm. And this is a kid who had nightmares from them. But, you know, so that's that's my trivia is they've sold so many copies, but they're also, you know, one of the most challenged ones from mm. when we were growing up in the 90s. Yeah. So what about you, Sydney? So the original
0: boxcar children novel, the one that came out in 1924 and then was kind of tweaked and then republished in 1942, was ranked in 2012 as one of the top 100 chapter books for children of all time by school library. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I thought that was pretty neat. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Annie, what about you?
2: I also went with the series that I talked about, the Dear America series. It started publication in 1996, and by 1998, the series had 12 titles. So, in two years, and 3.5 million copies in print. That
0: is significant. Wow.
2: So, this hit the ground running.
0: Yeah. Wow. That is a lot.
2: Yeah. Again, Scholastic gotta get those books out gotta get them in kids hands yeah they had something right
1: for sure
0: well what are we each reading now we're picking up next those books you know but also
1: yeah uh so, I am dual, dual wielding a couple of books right now. I'm working through Hecate by Courtney Weber. It's a breakdown of the mythology and the magic around the goddess Hecate. Okay, so, thank you.
2: I thought that sounded yeah. familiar. Yep. I know that name from something somewhere,
1: somehow. That's- so, traditionally put into the Greek mythology but there are ties far wider than just Greek mythology, but that's, that's the, the main most known one. It's, a, it's not a very big read or not a very big book. It's relatively small for the, the topic because it's just kind of an overview, but it's been fascinating. And the cover is really cool too. Oh, that is cool. Oh, that's a really good It almost cover. looks Norse. So yeah, so that's, that's one of the books I'm reading. And the other one I'm reading is called The Man Who Caught the Storm. And so it's The Man Who Caught the Storm, The Life of Legendary Tornado Chaser, Tim Samaras. Oh, it is, that's where I live. Yeah, he well He, he died live. north of you, a little ways. Um, Kansas. Yeah, I think he died in Kansas. So <laughs> I can think of the name of the tornado, but I can't think of like, eh. I'm pretty sure it was in Kansas. Might have been Oklahoma. Actually, it was in Oklahoma. So it's his biography. Cool really really well done i've been i'm listening to the audiobook and the narrator's i'm trying to think of a good he he does a good job but it almost is a little robotic in the voice mm. so it takes a little bit to get into mm. probably because i'm switching between the two audiobooks so that's a little bit jarring but once you it once you start sinking into it the book is really really good and i'm very very sucked into it and that is what i'm currently working on right now uh when did you, he Sidney? die he died in 2013 oh, okay
0: yeah so A coworker recommended to me The Badass Librarians of Timbuktu by Joshua Hammer.
2: That sounds fantastic. I think I've seen
0: that one. I am in the middle of that. It's about saving ancient writings in areas that have been taken over by the taliban i have read the back of that one it looked really really good i'm honestly I'm, i am listening to it right now and it is so fascinating to hear the history because you're listening to it and it feels like it should be something that happened in like the 1700s or the 1800s and then they're talking about in 1996 blah 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 you're like wait what whoa oh yeah that's right that was not that long ago I'm not in ancient history, but it feels like it should be ancient history, but it's really, really, really not. But it follows the life of of a specific man and his quest to try to create a library where everyone can come and learn. And the Taliban are very upset by the libraries of Timbuktu because they allow anyone to come learn. And women should not be giving an, given an education. And so then it's, you know, how do they protect
2: the libraries that they have created? So it's hmm. it's fascinating stuff. Annie, what about you? So I'm trying to finish Graceling by Kristen Kishore. I'm listening to the audiobook and it's super fun because it's a full cast. So it nice. takes me a while just because there's music and super animated voices so it's taking me a little while but i do like it
1: and then that's the important part
2: yeah it's taken me a minute to get into it because again i don't read fantasy but there's just something about a girl who doesn't understand that boys can fall in love with her (laughs) and how she sabotages that that just it's just fun sure (laughs) and then i'm still working on babel by RF Kwong. Are you still enjoying it? I am. Okay. That's again. That's the important. Part. I am. I mean, it keeps <laughs> this one again. It's like a 21 hour audiobook. Which again, some people say, "Oh, that's only two days." And I go, "Yeah, but I have children, and I don't know. I sleep, so 21 hours takes me a while." It keeps getting returned to the library, and then it oh. has like a three month hold. Yeah. And good. so I'll be able to listen to I don't know three, four, five hours, and then it goes back to the library and comes back a while later.
1: So that's why it's taking me so long. Yeah, I I get that. I finished it and it was just an 8-hour audiobook and mm-hmm. I looked at the play time just before I returned it to the library and it took me 13 hours to listen to it. Yeah. Because I had to keep oh, backtracking. I had mm-hmm. to keep rewinding. I had to keep repeating parts and which yeah, is fine. fine. I mean, 8 hours of an
2: audiobook very rarely means only 8 hours in one sitting.
1: Yeah. Especially <laughs> when you have longer. small help.
2: Yes. Yes. Or I listen when I'm driving people places. And so I get 10 minutes here, five minutes there, an hour here, and it takes me right. a while. So I'm working through those. Okay. Friends,
0: thanks for listening to this chapter of the Bookstack. As we sign off, we'd like to leave you with some food for thought. And we'll see you next time when we have our author interview. Remember, you can connect with us on Twitter at Trio. And follow us at BookSecTrio on Instagram and Facebook to see a full listing of the books mentioned in our stack. If you read a book from the stack, let us know what you thought on social media. You can also find us on our website at BookSecTrio.com. The whole world opened to me when I learned to read. Mary McLeod Bethune